which are on page 1,153 of the Green Church Bibles. Um, it's page 1,153, starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever among you would love life and see good days must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nick. Right. Do my little dance. Right. Well, as Tim mentioned, we are in a series in our sermons this month, uh, over, well, over these three months, in fact, looking at our values as a church. What is our DNA as a church family here at St. Darnus and Parsons Green? What marks us out as unique? What are our passions? What are our aspirations? Who do we want to be? Who do we intend to be in our life together? And um, at the bottom of your service sheets on the front page, you'll see that we have condensed those values down into three areas, an A, B, C. Adoration of God, belonging to one another, and showing God's compassion to a needy world. Adoration, belonging, and compassion. And in February, we're looking at the value of belonging. And last week, Tim kicked us off. If uh, you weren't here, I would uh, recommend his sermon to you, which you can download from our website. Tim reminded us that in, uh, in Peter, which we're, we're sort of rooting our, our sermons in, in the letters of Peter to the church, that Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, God's special possession. God's special possession. We belong to God, and therefore we belong to one another. And um, so today, what uh, my aim is, is to uh, look again at this letter of Peter and to ask ourselves, what is it? What does it mean to belong to one another? What might that look like here today in the year 2012 in Fulham, in South Africa, in, in our community, wherever we may be. What is it to belong? But first, I thought I might just take a step back and look at, sorry if the text on that is a bit small, but I'll read it to you anyway. Uh, we might look at Peter's founding principles. In, in, uh, in the first chapter of the book, Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it goes on. A new birth. And here in this 
cartoon, you may not be able to see it at the back. There's two blokes in a bar, and there's a sign on the bar saying, Happy Clappy Hour, 7 till 8 p.m. And then one bloke saying to the other, Apparently the, lawn, the, the landlord's a born-again Christian. Happy Clappy Hour. Wow, we've had ours. Born again um, is a phrase that sometimes evokes a reaction in us. Maybe it's a negative one. Maybe we think of fanatical Christians. Maybe we think of our American cousins. Maybe we think of happy, clappy people. But Peter tells us that our new birth is an essential part of who we are in Jesus Christ as Christians, that we have a new birth into a new kind of life, an eternal kind of life, a life that will go on beyond my death, beyond your death. Jesus said to to us, didn't he, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die, but will have eternal life. This new birth that we experience in our belief in Jesus, that he died for us, he died on our behalf to welcome us into the life of the Trinity, a relationship with God that will go on forever. And this is an, an, a kind of life that we each enter into as individuals, don't we? No one can do that for me. I have to take the plunge, as it were, into the waters of baptism and out the other side. No one can do that for me. It's an individual action. Jesus said to the disciples, didn't he, individually, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. So there's an individual aspect to this. But we have to beware the individualism of our culture. For some, our faith is like this on this guy's T-shirt. It says, me and God, we're like this. It's just me and God. It's just me and God against the world. But Peter argues, no. This new birth that we experience is a being born into something. We belong to something. We are part of something. And that's something he describes as a people In the second chapter, he he says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people, the people of God. It's a bit like being part of a nation. In the UK, I struggle sometimes to find something, an image that might uh, sort of encapsulate what it is for us to be a people. Maybe uh, the royal wedding we, uh, we witnessed last year. It's some, there's something in that about what it is to be British. A lot of flag waving, a lot of pomp, a lot of uh, romance, a great service in, uh, in Westminster Abbey, street parties. At that particular moment, maybe we experience something of what it is to be the British people. Here's another 
evocative moment for the South Africans amongst us. Any South Africans in the house? Good. Lekker. Okay, so here is the World Cup rugby final uh, a number of years ago. Nelson Mandela, then president of South Africa, and um, Pinar, what was Pinar's first name? Francois, thank you. Francois Pinar, who won the World Cup. In this moment, this is a, a very significant moment in South African history, because Mandela, who has just recently been released from jail in the period of apartheid, is wearing the Springbok rugby shirt, the symbol of white South African dominance. And in a, in a symbolic gesture, what you have here is two people, two peoples, two nations within the same nation state becoming one. And it took the president to, um, to make a very humble gesture of acceptance and embrace. To uni they united around this particular gesture. So it's a really symbolic gesture of what it is to be a people, or in this case, two peoples becoming one. But part of um, what it is to be British is to have a heightened sense of individualism. Sociologists uh, and those who monitor cross-cultural communication measure to what extent different cultures are individualistic or um, collective in their outlook. And the UK is number three in the world for being individualistic after the United States and, interestingly, Australia. The United States, the American dream, is about leaving your family and making, making something good of your life on your own. It's that ultimate empowerment of the individual. But it comes at, at the expense of a sense of being part of a collective, part of a people. And so in the UK, today, you might be sitting on the tube with someone reading the I newspaper on their iPad, listening to their personal playlist on their iPod which is turquoise to match their outfit and electric guitar. <laughs> I am at the center of what it means to be a person in 21st century British culture. But increasingly, in our hearts and by the Spirit of God, we realize that that is not enough. Our individualism is not enough for us. And so we need to enter on a journey from independence to interdependence, where we depend on one another. And I've been trying to find a model for this interdependence, this collective idea. And again, I went on a trip uh, to South Africa in my mind, thanks to my friend Debs. As I sat on Friday, I was drinking a can of Ubuntu Cola. Ubuntu Cola. And we got talking about what Ubuntu means. And it's a phrase that's been taken up by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. 
Ubuntu. Can you just say with me, Ubuntu? Ubuntu. It's a causa word, and it's a very difficult word to translate in Western culture. But let me just read to you, which you won't be able to read on there, what Desmond Tutu says about it. I won't try and do Desmond Tutu's voice. <laughs> you can imagine it, though. It's the essence of being human. It speaks of the fact that my humanity is caught up and is inextricably bound in yours. I am human because I belong. It speaks about wholeness. It speaks about compassion. A person with Ubuntu is welcome, hospitable, warm and generous, willing to share. Such people are open and available to others, willing to be vulnerable, affirming of others, and do not feel threatened that others are able and good, for they have a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that they belong in a greater whole. I am human because I belong. One translation of Ubuntu is, I am because you are. And Desmond Tutu is traveling the world um, with this message of Ubuntu. In, uh, especially, it's especially powerful in individualistic cultures such as ours. It's a powerful reminder that we need one another. But, I would say respectfully to the Archbishop, I don't think the, the concept of Ubuntu goes far enough. The focus of Ubuntu is on the collective, that, that my belonging to this collective is the focus of who I am, it's where I find my belonging, it's where I find my release. But the Christian perspective that Peter puts forward and that the New Testament puts forward is that we, as a people, are gathered around something. There's something at the heart of this collective, of this community. There's someone at the heart of that collective and that community. We are a people gathered around Jesus Christ. We are a people gathered around Christ. Here's, the, here's an icon of the Last Supper. I particularly like this image because I was imagining the person taking the photo saying to the guys in the front, guys, can you just turn your halos off because you're actually blocking the view of the guys in the back row. That's not going to work on the recording. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Here we are at the Last Supper, and Jesus is, is installing at the heart of a community an act, a rite, if you like, a symbolic gesture, a sacrament, an action that has a spiritual significance beyond just the material things that are used, the bread and the wine. Jesus is saying, I am the bread. This is the blood of the new covenant, a new relationship with God in me, in my death, in my resurrection. So Jesus calls each one of us, oh, uh, remind me later. <laughs> Where's that gone? There we go. Jesus um, 
calls each one of us individually to follow me. He is the means by which we enter into this community of grace by his death for us, by our believing in him. Jesus invites us into this new kind of life. He gives us a new birth into this eternal kind of life. Through him, Peter says, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Through Jesus, you believe. So we are people gathered around Christ and we are a people defined by love. Tim read earlier Jesus' words to us the great commandment. We are often uh, told about the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But do we talk enough of the great commandment? Jesus said here in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You see, Jesus didn't call us, first and foremost, to love the community. Loving the community itself doesn't work. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, uh, <clears throat> the German church leader who was, had a real heart for community, he was um, killed under the, uh, the Hitler regime, he wrote, to, he wrote to the churches, calling them to, to live in community. But he warned them that this. He said, he who loves community destroys community. But he who loves the brethren builds community. Let me say that again. He who loves the community destroys the community. But he who loves the brethren builds community. The way that we build up this community of grace is by loving each other individually. It's by reaching out to one another in practical ways. Our belonging in this community, in this people, is not something that can be outsourced. It's not something that I can delegate to another person. I need to demonstrate love to you if I'm going to be part of this community. I need you to demonstrate God's love to me if I'm going to belong to this community. But Jesus' words here remind us that this isn't just a building up of a holy huddle for our own edification and glorification. No, this is a missional thing. It's a missional imperative on us. How is the world out there going to know what God's love looks like if we don't even love one another? And so hence the picture of Mother Teresa there. If you ask anybody in the world what Christian love looked like, maybe they might say something about Mother Teresa. The community of grace is where I learn how to love 
It's great uh, hearing the bands of marriage being read out today and imagining more, uh, these couples embarking on this journey of discovery that marriage is, the challenges that face them down the road. Because in marriage, in that covenant, committed covenant relationship, this is a place where couples learn how to love. You don't love someone enough that you get married and then you just sort of plateau. But actually, in the covenant, committed covenant relationship, this is where you can learn how to love another person. And similarly, Jesus calls us to covenant with one another, to give ourselves fully to our community so that we can learn what it is to love. So, we're going to love on purpose, and we're going to belong to this community on purpose. The, um, if Ubuntu, for me, doesn't go far enough, the biblical picture of what, co- what community uh, love looks like is called koinonia. Okay, we said Ubuntu together. Let's say koinonia. Koinonia. Very good. That's, that's Greek. Okay, koinonia. And uh, just like Ubuntu, koinonia is a very difficult word to translate. And I've put up here a few options of what koinonia might, ne- might mean. In different places and at different times, it might look like communion or fellowship or just plain friendship. It might mean sharing or resourcing one another. It might mean participation or partnership, a nurturing of one another, a giving of my time to you selflessly. And the word koinonia is used throughout the New Testament as a picture of this sharing in community. A sharing in the community of God. This is a koinonia that we share with God himself. It's a fellowship with one another in his presence. So I thought what I might do is just read you a few familiar passages to those of you who've read a bit of the Bible. Read you a few passages and insert the word koinonia, bearing in mind all those different meanings there. So in Acts chapter 2, we hear about the earliest church and the description that Luke writes about that church is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and koinonia, to the breaking bread and the prayers. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about the communion service and he says, this cup of blessing that we bless." Is it not a koinonia in the blood of Christ, a sharing in the blood of Christ? And so somehow when we take communion, we share in the suffering of Christ. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about the gift that the Corinthians have given to the Judean church during a time of famine. They sent some money. And he says, through the testing of this ministry, this ministry of giving, you glorify God by the generosity of your koinonia with them and with all others. At the end of that letter, he he says to them, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
koinonia. This is our picture of what it is to share all that we are with a community that is the the essence of this eternal kind of life that we're called into. This life that will go on beyond my death, beyond your death. So practically, what might koinonia look like here at St. Dee's? Well, it might just look like friendship. I thought Luke's prayer was a real uh, word in season for us. So we ask God to open our eyes to another person, maybe someone who's not really like me in the church, to go and, and just befriend them, to have an openness to who God might be asking me to befriend. In our culture, very often we limit our friendships, don't we? We say things like, I don't have room for another friend in my life. I'm just too busy. Well, I think the Lord might want to challenge that and say, well, hold on a minute. Who's in control of your friendships? We are limited people. We do have a limited amount of time. But in different seasons, the Lord provides different people for us to be friends with. Who might the Lord be calling us to befriend today? It might look like resourcing. It may be that the Lord is calling us to share our money with this friendship, with this uh, community, to sponsor our community life together. Uh, You may have seen these uh, green leaflets at the back of church that talk you through the finances of the church and how you can give to it. The turnover of the church at the moment is something like 170,000 a year, which comes from people giving uh, uh, just here on a Sunday or by direct debit. There's no central funding for this church. One of the great myths (laughs) is that the Church of England is this vastly wealthy organization that funds churches Uh, It's quite the reverse. Um, So we need to um, give just to keep the heating on (laughs) or to improve the heating in a building like this. So do pick up one of these if you'd like to find out more about that, these green forms at the back. It might mean just participation in something, finding out where you could get involved not leaving it to somebody else, not being passive, but being active in this life of the community. It might mean opening myself up to being accountable to a group of people, letting people ask me questions about the way I live my life, the choices that I'm making. Sharing my life with another almost invites that question. And a house group is the classic uh, place where that happens. Do speak to Tom if you want to join his house group. And uh, you, you make yourself accountable, but you get so much more in response in this eternal kind of life. And that last point from the last slide about um, time giving, 
it may be that we look at our weeks, we look at our months, we look at our years, and we ask, where does koinonia happen in my life? Where does that happen each week? Where does that happen on a monthly basis? Where is it going to happen this year? How do I give myself to this life of God, this being part of the people of God? This might sound like a big ask of us when there's already so much going on in our lives. Well, if it is a big ask of us, then good. Maybe we're just beginning to get the hang of what koinonia is. It's nothing short of being part of God's family, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, being born again into a new birth, the kind of life that will go on into eternity. Let's learn in our community what it is to love one another. Amen. Can I invite the uh, musicians back? Let's stand together. Uh, we'll allow ourselves kind of sung response during which we'll take up an offering as part of another way in which we can respond to God. Uh, the giving of ourselves in terms of money, finance, terms of uh, expression of adoration. Let's just pause for a moment as we play with that uh, 